I might start with a little prayer. Loving God, thank you for for this community as a place to come and um, feel solidarity and comfort on um, a sad day. And so much in the world feels like it is um, not the way it should be, to put it lightly. And we, we pray we might feel your um, comforting presence this morning. Um, but also just a little shot of the indignation that you feel in the face of injustice. Help us to feel um, deep empathy for those around the world who are hurting at the moment and help us to be a place where we work together um, to be a place that works for your love and justice and your hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I thought this is a prayer that we had from two weeks ago. So last week was church camp and the week before that was the first week of the month where we tend to have a liturgical focus. Um, so I just thought this was a lovely prayer to start with. Uh, and then I just wanted to have a few minutes where people can just say how they're feeling today. Um, a chance for us to just be present to each other's um, grief or anger or whatever it is that we're feeling at the moment. Um, but let's do this prayer first. Loving God, you have led us to this place not to shield us from heartache and the pain of human life, but to heal us and inspire us, to gently redirect us till we see the world as you do and love it with your love. Amen. So yeah, just a moment in the, in the flurry and chaos um, and emotions of this weekend to be present to ourselves. You may be someone that's uh, this weekend felt overwhelmed by emotion or you might, like me, be a person that is very rarely in touch with your emotions and probably needs to stop and see what, what are you actually feeling. Um, so just a moment for that. And yeah, if there's something that you feel it would be helpful to, to share about what this weekend has been for you and what you're feeling this morning, that's fine too. Always conscious of the fact that our hope in this community is that our, our job when we share is not to teach each other or correct each other or rebuke each other, but just to share what's happening for us. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to stop talking. We can have a moment. Let's have a minute of silence, and then if people want to share something, then I'll give you the opportunity. Did anyone have, again, we don't need anyone to share if no one has anything that they'd like to share, but if you do, now is an opportunity to do that. Thanks, Rod. Um, I feel quite uh, heavy, um, like, like, I feel like I've been steamrolled this morning, like I've just been hit by a bus. Um, and 
uh, yeah, I feel the the weightedness in the collective, um, in my system. Yeah, very heavy and I'm not quite at that point but I've got a little question of like, is there a way that we can um, offer like a solidarity in grief to um, Indigenous mob at this time and also for all the people in Australia that are also deeply impacted and are grieving, like if there's some kind of way we can hold that and not just move on, get on with our lives when it's, um, yeah, I'll stop. That's a great question, yeah, thank you. Just while you're thinking, if there's anything else that you wanted to share, I was talking to Sally and David Silverback, who was here this morning, for those that remember him. Um, just how, for me this morning, it feels like a very kind of rich chord of grief. <laughs> it's like I've got this kind of the treble of my own experience at the moment where there's lots of things going on and then that kind of the, the referendum really feels like this kind of middle note and then the kind of base note of climate anxiety that I'm always living with. <laughs> and yeah, it just feels like a, a really loud and really powerful chord of grief at the moment. Um, I don't know if you resonate with that, pardon the pun, but um, but yeah, there's it's a lot when you feel like there are these all of these different layers that are kind of combining with things that are going on for you personally. Louise, I think it's I think it's um, I haven't quite formulated this thought, but. Um, it's a bit of a perspective, how, how you see things, how you see the results. Uh, I was working at the election yesterday in Carlton and very strong um, majority of yes, um, which was very uplifting. You know, I mean, I'm meant to say I'm not biased. But, <laughs> um, but the other thing I was thinking, and Pat and I were talking about, is that it could have been also, um, as the way you see it, the no may not necessarily mean against the Aboriginal people, but against the changing of the constitution. And I think a lot of people saw that as a bit of a frightening thing. So I, I just think interpretation is, you've got to be careful with the interpretation as saying that it's not everyone against Aboriginal people or them having a voice, but they just didn't want the law to be changed. That Maybe that's an optimistic thought, but I think that sort of, tries to balance so it doesn't make your grief as heavy. Thanks, Louise. Yeah, no, I, I agree. As I said at the beginning, it's, this, it's not about um, no voters being the devil. There are villains in this situation, but they're not the average person that voted no because I think many of them were as much victims in this situation as um, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people because there was, because of, again, this is a, a political perspective, but a lot of disinformation, um, which meant it was very confusing for a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I, I thank you for that. Um, it is Kids' Church Week. Um, so today the plan was, and we will, I like a plan, um, the plan was to look at point one on our five point, what the prophet's prophetic pattern, uh, to look at 
the first thing, which is the, um, the fact that becoming a prophet starts with a radical encounter with God. Um, and I wanted to talk about the two prophets that had the most radical encounter with God. And uh, I guess my, my request is that you bear with me <laughs> because, yeah, we will come full circle and we will come back to today uh, and our responses to today and how today is sitting with us. Um, but we're going to start with Isaiah and Ezekiel. Um, we actually had... Um, I'm going to give this over to you, Sam. Uh, we had a reference to Ezekiel a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if you remember, but uh, Ezekiel was the prophet that had a kind of um, crazy, psychedelic encounter with uh, a vision of God. Uh, and it was like uh, the heavens opening and this incredible vision of all of these angelic beings and then a vision of God uh, on the throne. Um, so we're not going to revisit that, but uh, I, I guess I just want to mention, as we look at Ezekiel and this other passage, Isaiah, I guess I want to mention the context of this prophetic encounter with God. Um, so as you can see here, it happened by the Kibar River, this vision of God that Ezekiel had, uh, which is a river in Babylon. Uh, so Ezekiel is a prophet who is has this encounter with God at a time when his people have been, um, well, the Jerusalem has been destroyed and a huge number of people from Judah have been taken to, to Babylon. Um, so essentially it's, it's times like these uh, that this vision comes to, to Ezekiel, a time of, of pain and grief and disruption. Um, and the other passage is one that we looked at, again, a couple of, a few weeks ago, is the, the vision of Isaiah. So Isaiah goes into the temple and has this incredible um, cosmic vision of God, the otherness of God. Uh, and again, it's a, it's a similar kind of context, a context where there's a people who have for generations ignored God, who have for generations ignored the poor leaders, both in the temple and in the palace, who have been corrupt and unjust. And in that context, Isaiah enters the temple and has this incredible encounter with God. And an, an encounter, as you can see, that awakens him to what in this passage is talked about as people of unclean lips, but awakens him to, to the deep, deep injustice of what is happening in his nation. Uh, and both of these prophets are called in that context, the context of injustice and disruption, of chaos, they are called to, um, to speak to the people and to call them back, <laughs> call them back to um, the way of love and mercy and humility and justice. 
And I think the reason for this is because uh, these, those times, the times of Ezekiel, the times of Isaiah, and the times that we find ourselves in now are exactly the times when we need a prophetic voice to both, as we say, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. To comfort those who are on the receiving end of the injustice and to, to afflict and to challenge those who are creating these systems of injustice and corruption and exploitation. And so that's, I guess, the challenge for us to go, how can we, it's it's like Sarah's question, how can we have that prophetic voice in this time? How can we be a voice as a community of comfort to the afflicted? Um, How can we show our solidarity with those who are hurting? Uh, And also, how can we be a community and individuals that uh, seek to call the powerful to account at times when we feel that there is deep injustice. But today I just want to, I guess, focus on focus briefly on the comforting of the afflicted side of this equation. Um, it's important to note with the prophets that there's no emotional bypassing in the way that they diagnose the situation that their people are, are facing. There's, they're not um, happy optimists saying, oh, well, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Let's, let's move on. Um, and we, in our community, try to, to capture that, deep sense of realism combined with the other half of what they offer, which is hope, in in our shaping stories. (laughs) Our shaping stories are these paragraphs, these um, little descriptions on our, they're actually on our website, but they are in in the place of a kind of vision and mission statement, a kind of business style vision and mission statement. These shaping stories try to outline the values that shape us as a community. And I I was thinking a lot this week about one of those shaping stories, which is that we, we want to be people that have a hope-infused realism about the way that we encounter the world. I just want to read a little quote from that. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read a little quote from that this morning because I think it, it's a great thing to remind ourselves of and it really does, encapture, in, does capture the, or encapsulate the, the prophetic vision of realism and hope. Um, We want to face the darkness and the hurt of our world with open eyes and enter into it when necessary. I'll read that again. We want to face the darkness and hurt of our world with open eyes and enter in to it, enter into that darkness and hurt when necessary. But we want also to be open to grace, redemption and resurrection life in the midst of the mess, believing that God is mysteriously and surprisingly present in the world, especially where we least expect it. 
the heading of this particular shaping story is hope-infused realism and it says we believe in a God who makes a way where there is no way. This phrase, the God who makes a way, makes a path forward where it looks like there is no path forward, is a phrase that is very important to womanist theologians, African-American feminist theologians, because of their identification with the, with the figure of Hagar in the Old Testament, um, who was cast out by Abraham into the desert and was weeping and in grief, and then um, the Spirit of God came to her and showed her a source of water that was nearby. Um, and this is a very powerful womanist image of a God who, when it seems like you have been abandoned by all and where there is no hope, will offer you something, even if that is just a small cup of cold water in the desert that you are traversing. So there's comfort in, in that for us, there's hope in that for us, but it's also um, not meant to be something passive for us as a community. Oh, we don't need to worry because we can just sit back and wait for God to open a way. It's also an encouragement to us to be that way where there is no way, to be people that offer a cup of cold water to those that feel like they have no hope and they have no one in solidarity with them. Uh, so it's, it's both meant to be a comfort but also a call to action, to be the hands and feet and voice of God at the moment for those that need the comfort of God that need to hear the voice of God um, saying that um, hope is not lost but saying that in the full realisation of the heaviness that Sarah was talking about that so many are feeling now um, it's a delicate balance to draw as we move to um, communion We, we see in, in this ritual, in this commemoration of Jesus' death, we see in the cross and the resurrection um, a kind of fundamental symbol and model of hope-infused realism, of the, the vision of the prophets who name the suffering, name the injustice, call out those that are causing it, but also want to offer hope, the hope that God will still show up. And, and that is the message of the cross, that Jesus did suffer, that Jesus did experience despair and a sense of abandonment on the cross. His followers felt utterly hopeless. Uh, and we need to resist what the church so often does, and that is to skip over Easter Saturday and go straight from Friday to Sunday. So we do need to sit in the reality of Easter Saturday, to sit in the grief, to give the grief its time. Uh, and for those that are grieving the most, to not rush them in that process because it makes us more comfortable, but allow them the time to grieve, allow ourselves the time to grieve. But in communion is also ultimately the hope of Easter Sunday.
And for many of us, yeah, last night was uh, a form of death. And today is the devastation of Easter Saturday. And as we'll see with the prophets, I guess hope is the narrative that you place around that moment of deep grief. Um, is it a narrative of despair and ending? This is the this is this is the end. There is no hope, or is it um, the narrative of the cross that says that even at a time like this, God can make a way? So this morning, with with communion, um, the beauty of a ritual, <laughs> beauty of symbols, is that it doesn't impose a particular location or a feeling on you. Um, it may be that you are deep in Easter Saturday at the moment and it's too soon for you to even think about hope and that's okay uh, because with communion it can just be the symbols of Jesus' death that you engage with today or it might be that you need that moment of hope in your despair and communion offers you that as well. Um, so since the communion has been soundproofed, um, just get a few people to go over and to bring the communion back to the table <laughs> and then we'll take a little bit of cracker and a little bit of juice and we can um, pray together and eat and drink. All right, I'll just read this prayer and then we can eat and drink. Loving God, help us to find our prophetic self our fierce mother self, help us to find a place for her amongst our other selves. May we listen when she cries out for her children, when she cries out for justice. May we listen to her anger and her sorrow when she calls us to remember. Remember who we are and remember who you are, loving God. Amen. Let's eat and drink.